With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Oh, yes. Hello, my friends, and welcome to this, another edition of the Underdog Football Show. My name is Josh Norris. His name is Hayden Winks. You know, Hayden, Sundays sometimes, Mondays after shows, you and I get together, put our minds together to figure out what our show schedule is going to be, what what topics we can cover each and every week. Uh, Today, I nominated going through all of the thirst traps that all these NFL players are posting during their off-season workouts and trying to figure out if we would buy in or not and maybe get some few random clicks out there through the YouTube algorithm. You had a much better idea. Hayden, what is today's idea? Today is the underblog promotion, a.k.a. all of the research for the people at Underdog that actually do blogging, a.k.a. <laughs> me. A double shot! Uh, so yeah, we're going to be going over like some of the research, just like some of the stats I've been looking at, what I value, some of the charts, and we'll try to make it where you want to actually go to Underblog and read Josh's rankings, read the best mock draft of all time. But the only two things that Josh has on there happen to go to the absolute moon. So it's more, uh, I'm quantity, your quality. How about that? <laughs> uh, maybe we have a few content ideas coming up that are written and on paper and not just video and audio uh, in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Underblog has been a tremendous resource. You know how great Hayden has been on these shows, obviously. Uh, but another reason why I wanted him as a part of the team was all of the ways that he can create written content that I can't, my brain doesn't operate in the same way as his. So yes, today is the off season brain dump, all of the actionable information really over the last three months. Cause we know all of you have been drafting during that time, uh, what you can use now for these next couple of weeks and how it can also impact your thought process as we move along to the regular season. So we have an order. We have many things to cover today. Some of these columns are going to spend, you know, two minutes on. Some maybe a little bit longer than that. But we hope that, again, this is a nice synopsis of everything that we have gone along. All right, Hayden, up first, wide receiver stats that matter. We've talked about it in our wide receiver rankings discussion. Go back and find that on YouTube that we know that this is going to be the bulk of the rosters out there. What did your research uncover? So the first thing we need to go over is what is correlation? We we hear this word all the time in fantasy football, but basically it describes the degree to which two things move in coordination with each other. So it sounds kind of complicated. Basically think of it like this, positive correlation, ice cream sales, and heat. When it's really hot, you're getting a lot of ice cream, right? This is what they taught me in my e- economics uh, school. 
And then the, on the other side, negative correlation would be like the odds a field goal kicker is going to make a kick and then how far away that is. So there's a positive negative correlation. The goal with this column was to see which stats are positively correlated to next year's stats. So if you looked at last year's data on pro football reference or PFF or wherever, this is what's going to tell you what's going to happen for this next year. So the top two stats, I looked at a bunch of stats, routes, all the stuff. The two stats that mattered the most in predicting next year's production were fantasy points per game from last year and receiving yards per game from last year. So we do all this crazy research. And then if you just went and just sorted by yards per game, you would be just as good as all of us. So that was pretty humbling, but I'm glad like this was confirmed. Uh, Does that make sense to you why that would be the case? Yes. You know, I think that this kind of thought process can interject some of the, like the narratives and the discourse that we use and the verbiage that we use, because, you know, when I'm doing these things, I try to figure out which stats out there can, you know, catch some attention or, or make for actionable information. And I bring up yards per route run and I bring up targets, opportunity, all of those things, but those being, I wouldn't say significantly lower, but lower on this list also stands out. Definitely. So the the next group is for predictive power would be targets, yards per route run, PFFs grade, routes in general, and then like yards after catch. That, that's like the next group. And I think that if you use a little combination of last year's fantasy points per game and then yards per route run, you, you're in a pretty good shape. You're getting like a, a better uh, wide-viewed picture of what a wide receiver is doing. The, the things that we should not be looking at at all, missed tackles for wide receivers, contested catches, ADOT, those are descriptive. Those tell you how a player wins. They don't tell you how much he's going to perform next year. That's just like Debo Samuel. We say he has a low day, uh, a dot. He forces a lot of missed tackles. That doesn't tell me that he's going to be better next year. That's just telling me how he wins. So th- those are nice to know, but they're not helping you win your league per se. Interesting. As he drops down there really far down on the list as well. Uh, yeah, v- there it is. Contested targets, yards per reception. Uh, down at the very bottom, which actually have – if I'm referencing this correctly, a negative correlation are slot rates and drop rates. Those are two pieces of conversations that we have during these offseason months that are brought up a lot, Hayden. So this was one of the most important takeaways from this is the more snaps you play in the slot as a receiver, the fewer fantasy points you would be scoring next year. So we always say this thing, oh, he's moving into the slot. That's actually a bad thing if you look at the predictive power for next year's fantasy stats. So that it, it's very small cor- correlation. There's basically no correlation. But the fact that it's negative tells me that we should not care when we see a, a headline that says he's moving into the slot and we all go crazy that this is really smart. It doesn't really matter. Like it, a, a player moving around the formation, that's cool. But like a player going from outside to the slot doesn't mean that all of a sudden he's going to be a breakout player. And then the second thing is the drops. And we always talk about the drops. Drops like as a as in total drops, that's positively correlated to next year's stats because basically that's like a target stat. But drop rate, which is the percentage of your targets that are actually being dropped, that's negatively correlated. So uh we don't like when wide receivers drop passes. Like that that is a fact. Like it is bad when a wide receiver drops passes. Sorting by total drops, that doesn't help you out. But if if a player is dropping 15% of his targets, there's a higher chance that he's gonna get benched next year or is not that good. In general, so there's two little differences between drops and drop rates. And here, I thought maybe some of your uncoverings with no bias baked in would make you like Deontay Johnson just a little bit more. I was fooled. I was absolutely fooled. All right, 
Again, you can go check out that column and all of these on underblog.underdogfantasy.com. Want to give a shout out to our people in the chat that are here every single Monday through Thursday at 12:30 Eastern here on YouTube. Adam Beauregard, who always talks about the puppy. We appreciate it. the puppy's like 70 something percent full. Keep packing that one up. We have a few more fun announcements along the way. Nick Bird, what's up with you? Joshua Jenkins, hello. FF Doom, as always, appreciate everyone here. Yes, CS Nerd, fresh cut earlier this morning, as you all know. Those of us blessed with just glorious hair, um, it's much better on like day three of a haircut than it is on day one. So just work with me. I know, again, I can't be perfect every single day. All right. Hayden, next up, which tight end stats matter? Uh, tight end is a position that you and I, again, spent an entire show ranking those. We'll do another update as we work into August. Uh, to me, what has stood out just as the position as a whole, the top two scores last year were the only ones over 150 points. Uh, in previous years, 2019, 2018, there were at least five scores of 150 points. It seems like, and I was on the athletic football show today, like, the, the running back workhorse is something that everyone craves because it can seem like that's a small pool. Now we're getting to a point, Hayden, with tight ends. Uh, it's even more rare to find like one that you can plug and play each week and get at least a top 10 season uh, week, I should say, and maybe even a top three week. Yeah, most of tight end scoring for fantasy is you got three or four points or you got 10 points, whether you scored a touchdown or not. And the only exceptions are basically – uh, Kelsey Waller and Kittle. We all know that. I think Hawkinson has a chance to break into that tier, but this is what the stat that we were looking at um, for, for predicting powers. It's the same thing as it, as it was for wide receivers. It's fantasy points per game. It's yards per game. It's yards in general. It's receptions. It's the basic stats. Those are the ones that have the most predictive power. Then if you drop down a tier yards per route run starts to matter a little bit more PFF grades routes in general. It's basically the same thing for wide receivers there's one or two major difference between Let's do it. Uh, the wide receivers and the tight ends. It's how often a tight end is in the slot or in line. And in line tight ends have a way negative correlation, and it's highly correlated to the pass blocking percentage. So basically, your in line tight end is mo- more likely to stay in and block on like play action or just in general. You want your tight ends to be out in the slot, out wide. And somebody like Logan Thomas was really high up in slot rate, out wide rate, and he had some bad quarterback play. But if he's going to keep that role on the outside, it's not going to matter too much if, if Ryan Fitzpatrick is, is a baller. I think that he has a chance to break out compared to somebody like – we talked about this on a previous show. Adam Troutman is an inline tight end. This is the research that I was kind of worried about Troutman's role. It's just harder to be a, t- a high-end fantasy producer – if your hand's in the dirt and you're blocking all the time. I mean, it makes sense because if you're an inline player, there is a chance that you stay in more often as a pass protector, especially if your team's offensive line is significantly struggling because we know that six pass protectors, obviously on paper, is is better than five. Troutman is one, Hayden, that we're going to follow that narrative during preseason action quite a bit in training camp with the, the great Nick Underhill and also in preseason activity to see where his alignments are. And maybe, oh, maybe we can find this year's late round tight end that we really, really care about. All right. I'm, do you have one more question since we're going through, and it's more of a narrative one, wide receivers and tight ends, we're done with those. More and more, 
we've been seeing the comment of, well, targets are earned. They're not just given anymore. Yeah. True. Yeah, no, that, that's that's 100% true. I just also think that the target isn't like the end-all, be-all stat because it's mm-hmm. what you do with the, tar- the targets too. So like, yes, Deontay Johnson getting these targets matters. He's good enough to get targets. That is important to us. But if you're only doing so much with them and we know that like a downfield player has a higher chance to do more with those targets, we should care about yards because yards is basically a target stat because how else are you getting those yards? It's because you got a target. It just happens to be that you're doing more with each one of those targets. Oh, draft Will Fuller at wide receiver 40. There we go. Right. All right. Next up, yards per, per route runs, major bias. Love this column, Hayden, because it's, again, a stat that I brought up and your findings of it, which make total sense. You know, a lot of teams in the league have – a heavy usage of 11 personnel, that that's the majority of the snaps they spend there. There's a major difference just in yards per route run, depending on the personnel grouping out there in the field. So this, this was, this made a lot of sense to me too. This is just like a football guy thing. If you have two wide receivers on the field versus three wide receivers on the field, who's more likely to get a target? The, the, the guy that's only battling with one other wide receiver. So I looked and I did some research on it compared to how often or how many yards per route run a two wide receiver set team was averaging versus a three wide receiver set team was averaging. And you look at it, the, the, the bias is towards the the players with in, in two wide receiver sets. The perfect example was from like last year, Corey Davis, who was really high in yards per route run, but that is not factoring in how often the Titans were using only two wide receivers on the field. It's much harder for a receiver in three in three wideouts situations to have a higher yards per route run just because there's more target competition. And then there's the other part of it too, where um, there's more play action when there's only two wide receivers on the field, the defenses are paying more attention to, to the, the ground game and that's allowing um, for, for some softer coverage on the back end too. So I think we have to kind of look at, yes, yards per route run is, is pretty helpful, but we have to understand that there's a massive, massive bias towards receivers that are only playing in 12 personnel or 21 personnel compared to the wide receivers that are always in 11 or 10 personnel. Again, makes total sense. I will say, and maybe you disagree with this, there has been, I think, some positive correlation between like the top 10 finishers on yards per route run and then their success next year. Like if you see a young guy like Mark Andrews was early on in his career, it can, I think, still um, lead to a breakout because – I think it's very tough to be like a bad football player and still like make the most if you obviously qualify it with a certain amount of percentage of snaps, targets, so on and so forth. Fair? Yes. Yards per route run, it's it's definitely something I'm going to be using, but our friends at Sports Info Solutions actually have yards per route run based off of personnel. So what I think I'm going to be doing for a lot of these is just looking at yards per route run in 11 personnel. When there's three wide receivers on the field, all of these players are still running 200 plus routes. The sample size is big enough to, to glean from some of these things. And if you just look last year, the top five wide receivers and yards per route run with three wide receivers on the field, Devonte Adams in a tier of his own. That makes sense. He's the best wide receiver in the league. Yep. Then Stefan Diggs, who might be the second best wide receiver. Then AJ Brown, Deandre Hopkins, Will Fuller. Then you get Cole Beasley, DJ Moore, Justin Jefferson, Robbie Anderson, Julio Jones, Allen Robinson, Calvin Ridley. So, to me, that's a pretty good list. I think that yards per route run in three wide receiver sets, 
that's a better indicator than just yards per route run in general, because somebody like Corey Davis would be top five in yards per route run. But if he's only playing against AJ Brown and then a bunch of tight ends and fullbacks, that's not really telling me as much as it is. It, it, Stephon Diggs doing this with Cole Beasley and John Brown and, and in 10 personnel, that's more impressive to me than Corey Davis just doing it with one partner in crime. Makes sense. Okay, keep that list up. Don't move from it yet because let's call attention to some of these names because we know the top four, their situation has basically stayed the same. Yes, A.J. Brown doesn't have Arthur Smith anymore and Julio Jones is still there. But Will Fuller is fascinating at at number five. It's a major change in offense, but the change to me is already baked into where he's going in drafts. Obviously, was the wide receiver eight in fantasy points per game last year and is now still somehow going as the wide receiver 40. Cole Beasley continues to drop his ADP, and that might be because of his Twitter account. Uh, it's not certainly not because of his play. I mean, he's going as the wide receiver 61 right now on underdog. That's after Gabriel Davis. Again, I also think part of it is just the moniker that people give him of he might not fit the quote-unquote better in best ball. Hayden, Cole Beasley fits in every format because he's seeing enough volume in a great passing attack that it doesn't matter if he's a short slot wide receiver that's a role player. To me, he's going to be productive if he is on the field. And he's going to be on the field. The, the Bills are trying to win a Super Bowl. Cole Beasley wants to win the Super Bowl. I would be absolutely shocked if Cole Beasley's not out there. And you're right. The the better in best ball, uh, someone like Marquez Valdez-Stanley, that's like the baseline answer. He, he is better in best ball because he has more spiked weeks. But Cole Beasley, don't sleep on him with his spiked weeks because when the Bills throw the ball 50 times, Cole Beasley is getting 14, 15 targets. Right. It's impossible for, for him not to have a spiked week. So that's the one difference in this particular offense, one of the most pass-heavy offenses in the league. Cole Beasley is still lights-out pick for best ball. Okay, and Jacoby Myers is on here at number 13. We had Phil Perry on a long time ago in, on May 25th. Still, we have not been able to change Damian Harris's ADP, but I think that's the benefit still to all of you out there. But with Jacoby Myers, we know they brought in Nelson Aguilar, who's actually 19th on – this list and Jacoby Myers might be the odds on favorite right now to be like the second wide receiver out there and on, on the field. Now their personnel usage should be somewhat different after spending so much money on two tight end sets. So Hayden, they might now fit in the category of two wide receiver sets almost certainly as the majority of their personnel groupings. So that's fine. The, I think it's like Justin Jefferson last year was super productive because it was just basically him and Adam Thielen. I think if you're looking at fancy points in general, it's all right if you're in 12 personnel versus uh, 11 personnel. It's just only the yards per route run stat in particular. And I think that even like target target share, we always say like, oh, this person has an X target share. He's really good. Well, you kind of have to factor in how many players are actually out in the routes. So like a team like the Raiders last year, they only had a couple guys out in the route because they would use yeah. a fullback. They would use a second tight end. And that's why you would see someone like Nelson Aguilar really start to pop off in some of these uh, target share and yards per route run stats. Even though he's not an elite player, he was he had some of these efficiency stats that were kind of sh showcasing that he might be a top 25 receiver. I don't think that's the case. But for the Patriots this year, I think that Nelson Aguilar and Jacoby Myers could still be productive just because the Patriots are probably going to be on the bottom five, bottom 10 in how many players are out in the route per each drop back. So it's two different discussions. I think it's fine for fantasy. It's less fine if you're just trying to sort by yards per route run in general. Prediction time. Uh, the Ravens were somewhat different than they have been last year because they obviously traded away Hayden Hurst. Nick Boyle left very early on the season with an injury. So they basically had one tight end in Mark Andrews. In the past, they've run a lot of three tight end formations and even two tight end formations. I wouldn't be surprised at all. Maybe in 
the normal version of yards per route run if Rashad Bateman is on there because they're going to run a ton of two wide receiver sets probably. But if he makes it among this group, despite seeing you know a lot of two uh, wide receiver personnel groupings, then uh, then I think we might be cooking with gas there with Rashad Bateman. So yeah, Rashad Bateman, yeah, Rashad Bateman is going to be. I think he's going to test really well with yards per route run, and I, I agree with you that there is predictive power with the youngsters in looking at yards per route run because sometimes it just takes a little bit of time for these receivers to have a full-time role. So if you're only looking at yards per game and then trying to predict their breakout season next year, someone like Michael Pittman comes to mind, he didn't have like a full-time role. And if we're just, oh, he was the wide receiver 65 in yards per game last year, you're like doing a disservice. So I think that's where yards per route run matters a little bit more is when we're trying to figure out the second year or third year breakout, if they're testing well in yards per route run, at least that's showing that, they're doing something when they are on the field. We know how it is. Sometimes these coaches don't want to play rookies immediately. I mean, look at Justin Jefferson last year, setting rookie records despite not having a quote-unquote full-time role in two wide receiver sets until about week week three. All right, in between, we switch between these columns. I want to answer a question out there, so be sure in the chat if you're here joining us live on YouTube. One, like and subscribe down below. Those always help us out. We're trying to reach 2,000 subscribers as quickly as possible. Uh, this one's from CS Nerd, and I think it goes back to our, our, our tight end uh, discussion and, and what matters. Will Logan keep that role, Logan Thomas, or was it a function of limited talent last year? I think this is a great question, and I think we have to get inside the mind of Scott Turner a little bit. Keep in mind, Scott and Norv Turner, for a long time, coached someone like Greg Olson, who was able to move across the formation. And it's not like Logan Thomas had the same number of snaps as another tight end on the team last year, and he was basically used as a de facto slot wide receiver because of that, let's say like a Mike Gesicki, for example. No, uh, the next tight end on the team was Jeremy Sprinkle with 239 uh, total snaps, whereas Logan Thomas played over 1,000 snaps last season, so 800 more for Logan Thomas last year. I truly feel that it's going to be Terry McLaurin and Curtis Samuel on the outside and Logan Thomas eating up that middle of the field area. I think there's something to Logan Thomas being relatively new to the position and they're just like, all right, just go be athletic in the slot. And we're not going to care about how well you're blocking in inline situations. So I would be surprised if Logan Thomas wasn't in the top five or top 10 in routes from the slot this year. And I think that's why you and I, when we did our tight end rankings show, we're pretty high on Logan Thomas um, relative to ADPs. Yep. All right. Up next, Hayden, Yards per separation is fooling us. Why? So next-gen stats, love next-gen stats. They have a lot of cool stuff, and they're probably going to be releasing really awesome data soon to the public. But right now, if you just go to their website and you just uh, click yards per separation, that metric is actually negatively correlated to fantasy production. So in other words, the fewer yards per reception a wide receiver is gaining in that stat, the more receiving yards that wide receiver is gaining for us in fantasy. And there's a couple reasons why that's the case. Quarterbacks are going to throw to their number one receiver way more often than their number three receiver if both of them are covered well. And the reason is because the quarterback is trusting his number one wide receiver to go make a play. So the quarterback, if in tight coverage, is still going to be throwing to DeAndre Hopkins because a, a closely covered DeAndre Hopkins is still more productive than Christian Kirk with another yard of separation. So that's the, the big thing is it just because a, a wide receiver is being tightly covered in the stat doesn't mean that he's not 
separating. It just means that the quarterback is more willing to throw him the ball when he is covered. Does that make sense? Makes total sense. I mean, if you have your primary pass catcher, uh, he's going to get targets. Like targets are earned. And I, I do sometimes wonder, because I've, I've obviously watched football for some amount of time, some quarterbacks that are just more comfortable throwing to covered receivers than others are. Um, they want that separation. They want to see it before they throw it. Um, is that fair? Yes. So I think it's two different things. Yards of separation in general is good. Just yards of separation in this stat, the way that they define it is not good because like, like if basically if DeAndre Hopkins is wide open, I'd rather throw the ball to DeAndre Hopkins when he's wide open. And DeAndre Hopkins does get wide open more than most wide receivers in the NFL. This stat is just only uh, factoring in the catch point, how far away he is. And that's inflated by just DeAndre Hopkins being so good and Kyler Murray just wanting to throw the ball to DeAndre Hopkins. The second part that we have to worry about with yards of separation is that stat is correlated to how to, to average depth of target a dot, a wide receiver that's winning uh, underneath has a higher yard of separation in general. Think about like Debo Samuel on all those screens, all those shallow drags, basically defenses are trying to stop the run and stop the explosive play a four yard little quick out or a shallow drag. They're okay with that. They'd rather rally and tackle and let their linebacker or strong safety come and make a play. So their yards of separation is bigger just because it's a product of how the defenses are acting. And then the second part of that is because this stat is being measured at the catch point, when uh, a quarterback throws a 25 yard pass down the field, there's just more time with the ball in the air for a cornerback to, to um, close the gap in the yards of separation. So it's a, a highly flawed stat. We want separators. No matter, no matter what, when we're looking at film, we want Stefan Diggs, who's creating a bunch of separation, but just sorting by this column is not it. You're actually doing yourself a disservice by doing that. If you're trying to find fantasy production. Looking through the chat, uh, here's a comment from AJ Nesbitt. Hopefully it makes sense to you. The more likely they are to gain fancy points, correlation isn't causation. I do like the hypothesis, and it's a really interesting thought. Yes, that's totally right. It's, it's The stat is it's, it's just flawed the way that they're counting it right now, and that's not, nothing against next-gen stats. It's still interesting information, but it's not – it's like yards of separation, the stat is not yards of separation how we think – yeah. That stat is saying, and that, that's the only, that's the only difference here. And, and eventually next gen stats is going to release the actual data that they have. And that will be more predictive of how often a wide receiver is getting separation on like a particular route. Like if, if, if DeAndre Hopkins is getting more separation on a slant route than most wide receivers, that's going to be probably predictive for fantasy. Just the way they have it right now is not. All right. Anything else on this one or should we move along? Let's go to the next one. All right. Question in between. This one comes from Adam. Russell Gage or Darnell Mooney, who's your go-to there? I'll speak for myself, Hayden, and if you want to throw in yours after, that totally works. Uh, I have Darnell Mooney. This might shock you. 15 spots higher than Russell Gage in just wide receiver uh, rankings. And it's because I love Darnell Mooney's talent, and I think Russell Gage – I don't want to be super critical because he might have opportunity, as we talked about. Uh, but I just think he's he's a replaceable talent. I don't think Darnell Mooney is necessarily a replaceable talent. Um, I'm way ahead of ADP, of the public, 
on where John Mooney is going, and I'm way after of where Russell Gage is going. So I might not be the best person to answer this question. I think they're like the same tier of players, and I, I would just be looking at what quarterback or my roster construction to kind of decide between the two. I think that Darnell Mooney is a probably the better role player between the two. I'm not sure if either is going to be more than uh, a decent role player, um, but I would go with the upside of Darnell Mooney because he's younger, and we don't know the full potential of a Darnell Mooney. All right, next up, when to draft running backs on underdog fantasy. Again, you need to go check out this column on underblog.underdogfantasy.com. This might be the key to winning drafts this year. Hayden, help the people out there win some money. So this is pretty hard to explain, so I, I, I encourage you guys just to go read the column, but I'll give it my best shot. Basically, what I'm looking for in, in this column is when or how well teams performed based on when they drafted each position. So for running backs in particular, I'm trying to look if a team has three running backs by round five versus two running backs by round five versus one running back uh, in round five, how well that, that team's doing. Because this is going to tell us way more about roster construction than the way that we're currently looking at it. Roster construction right now for most people is what is what does your team look like at the end of the draft? And how you get there is way more important because we've seen most of your team scoring in best ball comes from your first about 12 picks. Your last six-ish picks are pretty irrelevant to your team's success. So I want to be focusing on how many players at each position should we have within the first 12-ish rounds of the draft. And this chart kind of explains how we get there. And the big takeaway from this is zero RB works, hero RB works, bimodal RB works, robust RB, like sorry to the haters, robust RB works. And the reason why these strategies work is because underdog fantasy is a half PPR site without bonuses for hundred yards. And this format running backs and wide receivers are valued closer together than they are on other sites. And I think that's great for underdog in general, because we can imply new strategies. And I think that the best people are going to be understanding how to use each strategy and then letting the draft board fall to you. Well done. Well done. I think that was fantastic. You and I have made the point after surveying what was successful in last year's best ball mania. And I want to reiterate, this is just one year and one tournament granted a lot of teams, but that's just one year of data that we're looking at. And it's amazing when you look at the top 50 scores who advanced, how many range of different types of teams can be created uh, with this format. And I, I think Hayden mentioned that half PPR scoring opens itself up for that. I would also mention best ball opens itself up for that because, you know, a lot of content out there for zero running back or focusing on wide receiver to me is geared towards season long and management leagues where you know one that position wide receiver is gets injured less like that that's an absolute fact and with the ability of waivers and claims and only starting a certain amount each week um, then you can kind of orchestrate through roles and opportunity on a weekly basis the running back position again with best ball since we are picking your optimal lineups each and every week based on the success of those. To me, it's not as much of an advantage just to completely punt the running back position as it might be in comparison to season long leagues. The two perfect examples 
from last year was JD McKissick and Mike Davis. They weren't being drafted on underdog fantasy very much, like only like maybe five or 10% of uh, drafts had one of those guys being drafted in a managed league. You would just pick up JD McKissick or Mike Davis in week two or week three. When we see that the role has changed in best ball, we don't have ads and drops. So those guys are just zeros. They're not even in the player pool. Um, so that's James Robinson. Team. Another example too. Right. Best ball, you don't get the advantages of finding the your RB2 off of waivers. So that's why I think that running backs in general might be a little more um, important in best ball in particular. I've got a couple more notes, Josh, and we'll wrap this thing up. If you are doing zero RB, the cutoff point when you should be drafting your first running back before your win rates and, and your expected points start drop drop dropping is round six. If you've gone past round six and you don't have a, a running back on your team on underdog last year that is where the cutoff point was so you can go zero rb i just don't think that you should be going zero rb all the way to the ninth or tenth round i think the latest you should be drafting your first running back is in round six so that's one strategy you can do zero rb though like you can definitely do it i just wouldn't do it too long um the other part is it was optimal to have either two or three running backs in rounds five all the way through 13. So it was never optimal to have more than three running backs up until round 14. So I see a lot of people draft four or five or six running backs before that point. Basically, you just want to have two or three in the middle round, and then you round out your roster with your fourth and fifth running back. So this is just back to the premise we talked with Eric Bime for on, on the last stream, is you're banking on these players in the first five, six, seven, eight rounds to be in your lineup. And that's the strategy that was paying off last year. You drafted two or three running backs. Don't draft another one because you need those guys to be in your lineup if you're going to win. Dylan in the chat, chirping, small sample alert. I would say what? Best Ball Mania last year was 25,000 entries? There was, yeah, I think it was more than that. It, this is one year of data. And the reason some people are asking me for my tight end chart, that's the chart I don't want to do because that's heavily influenced by just Travis Kelsey and Darren Waller. Running backs, there were so many running backs that are being drafted um, that I think that this you can glean some information from this. Obviously, next year, when I combine this from this year's data and last year's data, it's going to get more and more. Uh, the sample is obviously going to grow. I think that I'm okay with dealing with the smaller samples right. of running backs and wide receivers from, from last year, though. Sure. And also, like a year-to-year thing, you might be talking about this, Dylan, that obviously last year so many top running backs got injured either for the entire season or missed some games. But guess what? Hayden's here for a while. Hayden's going to uh, remake these these uh, columns and, and findings next offseason as well. Anything else where we want to move on from this? Uh, that, that's about it. I'll, all of our best ball data from last year is out in the public. If you want to download this and look at the small samples and create your own graphs and stuff, we have all the data. It's on Underblog. Uh, go find our rankings on Underblog. I think there's a little advantage because not that many people know about Underblog that if you're actually reading Underblog, you're actually getting an advantage. If you're reading stuff on other popular sites, maybe some of your league mates are reading it. So uh, maybe that's the advantage is to actually go read Underblog while we're young. Go read Josh's <laughs> rankings. And eventually we'll have... Am I allowed to say this? Eventually, we'll have a draft kit that can be downloaded. It should be free. It'll be rankings, our favorite players. Um, that would be way more exciting to read than this podcast, which is probably very boring for a lot of people. But I think that I hope some people enjoyed uh, some of the math of this. So I just posted under blog. 
dot underdog fantasy.com in the chat. Everyone go and bookmark that. Yes, Hayden and I are going to come out with, I wouldn't call it a simple draft guide or, or draft kit, but really just the information that you need to know. A one sheet that is your, your cheat sheet that you can take or download or whatever to your drafts. Um, we're also going to have just players we're targeting and players we're avoiding, really just the stuff that you care about. And that's all going to be free. That's absolutely going to be free. Just in the hope of you using it on Underdog. And by the way, Hayden has a video on how to upload your personal rankings or our rankings on Underdog to draft from those. Um, I know ETR has some. A lot of other partners have some as well. So go do that. ADP is important. It's good to reference that, but also to know which players you or those people like most. Are these all the columns you want to hit or are there more, Hayden? There are more, but I'm tired, man. Go, go, go. <laughs> I would rather go talk about Tape Detective. So after you've done all the math and the graphs and this and that and correlation, then I'll just go watch Mike Davis or, you know, somebody get like Jacoby Myers and then get excited about uh, fantasy football again. So go read Tape Detectives too. Right. Uh, those are more exciting. I know all of you are loving these live drafts that we're doing. The last two have been unbelievable. Ryan Hodge last week, Eric Bime for yesterday. I mean, Hayden and I talk at least four times a week, a lot more than that as well. And we share a lot of similar views on just football and what we care about with these players and, and teams and, and drafts. So it's really good to bring someone else's perspective into those. So so go back. I'm actually going to put the BIM41 on the podcast feed if you want to go listen to that. It's on every podcast platform that you use, the Underdog Football Show. Tomorrow, Hayden, we're back with the giveaway gauntlet. Uh, Hayden's going to take a little break. From that, instead, we have the woman who is pulling all the strings on Underdog. Her, her name is Liz Keevil. Uh, I mean, for real, every single thing you see out there on Twitter.com and beyond on Underdog, she has had a major hand in. And for better or for worse, bring me and Hayden on along for the journey as well. So Liz is going to be on as a host, and the guest will be Jason Moore from the Fantasy Footballers. I cannot wait for that. That'll be at 1230 Eastern once again to be here, to be eligible for a Best Ball Mania 2 ticket, $25 in your account. Join us live. Anything else before we get out of here, Hayden? That's it. Go enjoy your Harry Potter trivia. <laughs> All right, everyone. Really appreciate you. Uh, go and check out the, the, the clips and obviously subscribe to the channel. Like below before you get out of here. For Hayden, I am Josh. Up the bell, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Talk to you all soon. See ya.